All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 365. Jason Lingren is with me, and we've asked George Wiseman on. I met George uh, in an offhand way. I know that he had been talking with Ben when I met him. I knew he'd been speaking with Ben Balderson or vice versa. And primarily, we're going to cover a thing called Brown's Gas here. There will be some ancillary things, and uh, he's created a machine that makes Brown's Gas. He has some things that he's uniquely discovered about the topic we're going to cover, and I will be reviewing the machine uh, as soon as I have time to unbox it and get it set up. And I will also be adding a sponsored link. Uh, Brown's Gas is a big deal, and so many of these things, eh, you know, I'm not going to say discovered. I feel like all these things are being rediscovered. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. And looks like we both have a stormy morning on our way. Yeah, I'm on the edge of a cold. I got a gruff throat and we are getting, well, we had near hurricane force winds last night. So I'm, I'm happy the internet's still up and the power's on, but let's do this. Welcome, George. Man, it's good to be here. I was so looking forward to this. <laughs> let's hope the, uh, the gods shine and uh, I can have power all the way through this. Much of the state is without power right now um, and they're already queuing it up that you better be patient because they can't go up in their bucket trucks if the wind is over 30 knots or something like that. But uh, anyhow, let's jump right in here. Um, George, you basically grew up close to nature. Well, actually, I'm going to throw it over to you. Let's just do a quick review of where you come from, how you got here. Okay. The first thing I wanted to say is that uh, to, to kind of lead into this whole thing, as as people listen to this, it's, it's uh, probably going to be a while, but uh, the world is currently in turmoil. And we know there's a whole bunch of health issues going on. Fuel prices are rising. Food shortages are on the horizon. But what if, and that's, that's the whole thing we're talking about today, what if there was a technology that helped people seldom get sick help the body heal three times faster, save 50% on your fuel costs, you could make your own fuel and makes plants grow up to 10 times faster. What if? And just keep that in mind as we continue on this uh, journey today. I grew up on a cattle ranch in the middle of British Columbia, Canada. I was actually born in Montana and uh, I'm a dual citizen as a result of that. But I grew up on this cattle ranch. We had no electricity. Uh, we had an outhouse at, yes, even in the winter, you had to run that hundred yards out to the, uh, out to the house, a little out house out back. And, uh, it was in a trapper's cabin. The, the ranch house was a trapper's cabin built in the 1800s, 24 feet square. We had nine of us living in there, plus the cats and dogs, uh, each of us, uh, uh boys, the four boys and three girls, uh, the four boys each had a corner in the attic. And in the morning, mom would get us up about 4.30 in the morning, and she'd stoke up the fire and uh, warm the place up, and we'd go out and saddle up the horses and do the chores and come back in for breakfast and then go out either to school, like the school bus had come by. It was an hour to, to go to the little country school. It was uh, pretty much almost like you think of the old one-room schoolhouse kind of thing. It actually had about 10 rooms, but it still was just uh, went up to grade 10. And by the way, I love going to school. When I went to school, I didn't have to work so dang hard. <laughs> But before we'd go to school, we'd have to uh, maybe ski or snowshoe out to where the cattle were and, and fork a couple of ton of hay out in the dark because it, would it wouldn't be daylight until after we were on the school bus going to school. And, uh, and, and so that was, a, that was the kind of way that uh, I grew up. In the, in the summertime, we'd make hay and, and, uh, and do a lot of horseback riding, fixing fence and all that kind of thing. So as I grew up, I started to get interested in girls. And going to school, I saw some of those. 
that weren't my sisters. And I kind of realized I was looking around and I, I saw that girls like money. And I thought the only way I was going to make some money was to be a prospector and discover some gold or uh, become an inventor. And on the cattle ranch, you, you pretty much had to fix things yourself. We, we lived a day's drive from town and uh, like the little country school wasn't in town. That was way before town. So we only got to town about once a month. Anything that needed doing, we had to do ourselves, being at uh, mechanical things or veterinary type things or anything. So I learned to fix things and build things. And when they tested me in college, when I went to uh, uh, college for automotive mechanics, they, I found that my mechanical IQ literally tested off the scale. They couldn't measure it, which was kind of feather in my cap. But uh, to continue on why I became an inventor then, I decided that uh, shoveling rock and, and climbing mountains was a little too tough to try to find some gold. So I decided I'd try to be an inventor. And since I was essentially an automotive technician by that time, I developed these uh, ways of saving fuel. I actually, my first pickup truck was a 1966 Ford uh, that got up to 45 miles to the gallon. Now, I didn't realize that that was exceptional because I just did it on the cattle ranch. My dad only allowed us to have one tank of fuel per week. So I had to make that tank of fuel last as long as I could. So I did the best I could to fix that up. And I didn't realize how well I'd done until I learned what the truck was actually supposed to be doing. <laughs> it was interesting. Did you do anything with that? Is that something that uh, is available today? Oh, yeah. In that series of experiments that I was doing, and a lot of it happened while I was actually going to mechanic school. I have some interesting stories about my teacher. Oh, man, he was a good teacher. Uh, and how I taught them some things. Uh, was was interesting. There was this one pickup truck. I the fuel pump went on my way to school, and so I just simply took a can of gas because I had a can of gas. You don't drive without a can of gas back in the bush, and I, I siphoned water or sorry gasoline into the carburetor so that I could drive with the can of gas. Just I just I took the hood off. I had tools there. Took the hood off. Put it in the back. Strapped the can of gas to the fender. Siphoned gas into the carburetor. So I essentially bypassed the fuel pump and drove on into school. <laughs> stuff like that. There's lots and lots of stories. Anyway, I made a fuel saver that, and I won't go into all the ways that I developed it, but it turns out that if you put a slight vacuum on the, on the float bowl of a carburetor, you hold the fuel back. You don't allow it to go into the engine. And I did that as a side effect from another line of research I was doing with vape, uh, getting gasoline to vaporize. It turned out that when you do that, it increases the air bleed systems in the carburetor, the efficiency of the air bleed system. So instead of jetting out droplets, it jets out more of a mist and the mist evaporates more effectively. And that causes the combustion to be more efficient. In any case, I was getting up to 30% increase in my fuel mileage just by having these $15 worth of parts strapped onto the side of my carburetor. And I, I decided I would make a fuel saver business out of that. And now this is my first invention. I took it to a, um, a company that does these late night things where you can buy these various things. And they were very interested in this fuel saver until they learned that $15 worth of parts in a hardware store would be able to do that. And, it, and anyone could bypass them. I didn't have a patent on it or anything. And then they dropped me like a hot potato because they, they wanted the uh, control. So in any case, I thought to myself for a little bit and I thought, well, what the heck? Why don't I just write a book and tell people how to do it? and then sell a kit, which I did. And that started my business, Eagle Research. And I've, I've been a self-employed inventor ever since, uh, all the different things that are going on. So in any case, uh, I did uh, make some money and I did attract uh, girls. I, I had my first wife 
I, when I went to college, met her there, and she threw me back eventually. So she became my ex-wife. And then a little while later, I met my late wife, who you'll hear about a little bit more uh, in the upcoming uh, dissertation uh, talk. And the uh, and she died, and then uh, I, I've now since remarried. So the um, so girls thing got taken care of as a as an inventor. It was a good it was a good plan. So some of my early inventions were the fuel savers, and the fuel savers uh, led into the philosophy of not patenting. I don't patent anything. I teach people directly. I try to help as many people do what I've done for myself as possible. And you may or may not remember, but back in the 70s, uh, fuel savers were really important because the, the gas shortages and everything back then, 70s and 80s. Oh, yes. But the, the vested interest, the powers that be that were making money selling fuel, didn't like people like me that sold fuel savers that actually worked. And I, my, my business was investigated seven times, seven times, like state attorney generals, Consumer and Corporate Affairs Canada. Just it was it was amazing how many different government agencies came after me and not a single one managed to make anything stick. Now, because <laughs> every time they tested my fuel savers, they worked. <laughs> it was great. It wasn't so fun to be in that situation where you're being investigated, but it was nice in the end that I could say it it all passed. Uh, it, and in the end, I get these letters that said, we don't endorse what you're doing, but we can see there's no fraud involved. So I, so I got to ask, um, to what degree do you feel? I, I have a story that I've told way back about a friend of ours who bought a used car and had this thing and the tank never went empty. And eventually, I forget the story exactly. It's been so long. Someone came out and stole it probably a government agent stole it out from under the hood of the car. To what degree do you think we could be running vehicles, saving gas? I mean, 90%, 50%, what would be your, your guess at what we could be doing? I personally built, first, first of all, uh, that story I've heard a dozen different ways, and it may have been uh, different kinds of people and different events and stuff like that. I even had a guy come up to me and say that he built one of these type of uh, carburetors and he bought a, uh, a dairy from the money they paid. They bought him off and he bought a dairy and, and uh, went on with his life as a dairy farm. So in any case, uh, I personally have built a carburetion system that got well over 200 miles to the gallon in a 1974 pickup truck with a 250 cubic inch engine. Wow. That's, that's like eight miles to the gallon truck, right? Uh, usually that one with the 250 would be in the high teens, low twenties. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, I got 10 times the mileage with a gallon of fuel. And that is, and that's just with straight tech. It was not uh, hybrid or anything like that. That's just the carburation system, an, an advanced uh, vapor carburation system and, uh, and the regular engine and drivetrain and everything. If I had modified the drivetrain, like I did with my original 66 pickup, I could have gotten much, much more, like, like two or three times more than that, like 600 miles to the gallon. So needless to say, the companies know this kind of thing can be done? Absolutely. No question whatsoever. I've got a file of 80 different uh, inventors that have been suppressed one way or another. I went to the patent office. I found hundreds of fuel saver patents, hundreds, not one of which was on the market, which come back to what I do is I help the people directly. I don't patent because in a patent office, they actually have this service where uh, you can subscribe and any patent that comes under a certain category, you get a notice. Well, they put that service in for just this exact reason. 
any inventor that goes in and starts to get a patent, uh, all the wolves get this notice and the wolves know that this inventor hasn't told anybody. <laughs> They're still doing that, by the way. They're still doing that. Since I was young, like late teens on television, they run late at night, usually after something like X-Files, this inventor. Are you an inventor and you don't know what to do? And I, I'm reasonably sure the number has been the same, but I, I am reasonably sure what that is, is to rat yourself out if you invent something that matters. Absolutely correct. I've seen those commercials myself. I know what you're talking about. Right. Um, yep. It struck me one night. I'd never paid attention to them. And then one night I'm like, wait a minute. I was watching this when I was like 18 and it's the exact same image. And I'm pretty sure the number's the same. Yes. Uh, I even remember when I was younger considering, oh, I'll bet I could invent something, you know, goes <laughs> to show you. Yes. And I did too. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And people are conditioned to do the patent system. Now I can tell you that I currently have absolutely no money worries whatsoever. Everything I own is uh, paid off. I'm in the black. I've got uh, uh, savings. I have. I have no reason. I could retire. I could. Uh, this is important uh, point that uh, comes into what we're talking about here. I could retire, and that'd be it. I'm not retiring for some reasons that you'll hear as we continue on today. Key point. So it's. I can tell you that you can go the not patent route and be just fine. Make as much money as you need. No question. Okay. So we continue. As I was doing the fuel savers and other various inventions and stuff, I learned about Brown's gas. And you'll hear a lot more about Brown's gas today. Originally, I heard about Brown's gas with these machines that could make a gas from water that could replace acetylene in a torch. And since I'm an inventor and I learned all different kinds of ways of welding and torch work and stuff like that, I wanted one of those machines which could theoretically uh, weld plastic to titanium in my workshop. And I went out to get a quote and they quoted me $300,000 for a machine that would, that would fuel a torch. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, yes. you can have it if your name's Gates, right? Yeah, essentially. So being an inventor and understanding quite a bit about uh, physics and chemistry and things like that, which I excelled in in school, as you can imagine, I decided I'd just do the research, everything I could find on Brown's gas and build my own invention. And it, I, I fancy myself as an alternative energy researcher, which... Uh, means that I make things more efficient or find ways to gather energy from the environment and, and, and projects like that, which I have several. In any case, the, uh, I put my research into this, my thinking into the Brown's gas machine. And the one that I eventually developed for myself, um, actually, <laughs> the development process cost about $250,000. <laughs> so I, I didn't save a lot. <laughs> but by the time I had this machine, I had one that could produce gas using half the electricity to produce the same amount of gas with the machine half the size and half the weight of the of the ones that they had quoted me $300,000 for. So then I started selling machines, uh, those machines, and that well made up for my investment. So I got all my money back from, uh, from that. And uh, in the process of selling these uh, water torches, I decided to be experimenting with using the Browns gas for fuel uh, and combustion enhancement. Because uh, carbureted vehicles by that time in the 70s were starting to disappear. They, they were going all to fuel injection. So I needed a fuel saver that would work on fuel injected vehicles as well. I developed the Hyzor uh, uh, system, which was an onboard electrolyzer to make Brown's gas. And the Brown's gas works great to uh, increase the efficiency of combustion of internal combustion engines, getting at least a 25% uh, fuel mileage gain. And some got much better. If you breathe Brown's gas, is it toxic? Absolutely not. 
So if you breathe acetylene or gasoline, everyone knows that'll, that's not good for you you fast. Right. Okay. If you just look at it this way, you've got a hydrogen oxygen mixture that's simply replacing the nitrogen oxygen mixture that you normally breathe. So nitrogen is an inert gas, hydrogen, as far as bio is concerned, it's an inert gas. So the only, the only thing is you don't want to inhale a mixture that's more than 4.7% hydrogen because in air, 4.7, more than 4.7% hydrogen is potentially explosive. If something ignites it, it can go bang. You don't want to bang in your lungs. It just, you don't want that. All right. But we've, we'll, we'll get to that sort of thing a little bit later. Okay. So getting back to, I was doing well with the Hyzor systems. And then one of my water torch customers in 1996 got back to me and what he told me, I simply didn't believe at the time. And for years after he had a melanoma on his forehead and he took Brown's gas and bubbled it in water and then soaked a cotton ball and put it on his forehead, taped it there um, and re-soaked the cotton ball several times a day. And in three weeks, that melanoma was gone and, and melanoma is nothing to fool around with. It's bad. And I just didn't believe it, but he told me this and I thought, okay, I'll put this health application, potential health application out there. And people started to get really excited about health. The uh, the people that had the uh, Brown's gas machines, uh, mine and other people's, I started to bubble and I started getting all these reports back for health. And of course, I didn't quite know what to do with them. I, I just kind of filed them because I knew this to be an explosive gas. I figured that I, I couldn't understand using it for health purposes, kind of like People, <laughs> do you have any idea how how they how it you know it's like if you had a torch, no one would be thinking. I think I'll breathe this acetylene or yeah. soak a cotton ball and put it on my head. Do you have any idea how they made the crossover? Was it just intuition? It had to be. I my mind certainly couldn't come up with that kind of logical thing. So in any case, once I put it out there, people started using it and uh, bubbling, and they were drinking the bubbled water, and they were using it on their skin, and they were coming back with all kinds of testimonials that were quite. Uh, interesting. And so from 19, uh, 1996 until 2005, so almost 10 years, all this was happening. And I didn't use the Brown's gas for health myself. But you knew it was safe. You, you knew people breathing and, and drinking. You knew it wouldn't hurt them though, right? Well, the thing is, I, at all this time, I was telling people not to inhale it because I knew it to be a potentially explosive gas. Mm. And I'll get more to that in just, in just a minute. But the, uh, what happened was they were drinking it, and I knew it to be safe to drink. In fact, even the FDA says it's safe to drink hydrogen-rich water. So the, uh, and they've been doing hydrogen-rich water for over 40 years, which I discovered and nobody knew about because all these uh, ionizers like the Kangen machines and stuff, um, what, what the, they were talking as high pH water, it, the health aspect wasn't the high pH. The health aspect was the hydrogen in the water that it put in the water. The high pH was incidental and had nothing to do with it. When science actually started to measure, they took away the pH and left the hydrogen and the health benefits remained. They took away the hydrogen and left the pH and the health benefits disappeared. So it was the hydrogen for 40 years that was making this high pH uh, misinformation. So my story continues that uh, in 2005, I decided to start bubbling the water and drinking it myself. And I've been drinking it ever since. By 2007, I'd had two years of not getting sick in the wintertime. Now, I didn't notice any other real health gains or anything like that uh, for this. I was, uh, I still had other health issues that I'll get to in a minute. But the point is, I could see that it was healthful enough to recommend. 
I always try things myself before I recommend them to my customers. So I made a tabletop electrolyzer that I called the ER50, not to be confused with the AC50 I have now. The ER50 was just a uh, PCV tubings and and stuff like that. And, and eventually I sold a kit for it and I sold thousands of those machines out there. And then a lot more testimonials started to come in because it wasn't just a few hundred people with water torches. They, they, they actually had these tabletop electrolyzers that they could bubble water in their own home. And then from 2007 until uh, December of 2016, uh, they were asking us, asking me, can they, can they inhale the gas? There were lots of people asking, can we inhale the gas? And I kept remembering using this thing in combustion engines and as torch fuel and how explosive the gas was and keep saying no. And then in December of 2015, I got a video from a customer. Again, my customers have been telling me these things and leading me along all this time. I developed these things and then my customers tell me how to use it better. So the uh, from a Korean hydrogen bar where they were using Brown's gas, people could go in and get a Brown's gas inhalation treatment. Like we go in and buy a cup of coffee. They just sit in a comfortable chair and inhale the Brown's gas. If you could see my video, you'd, you'd see I, I can be inhaling the gas with a cannula that looks like oxygen tubes, like people with an oxygen bottle. And I realized something, slap on the forehead, idiot that I am. I'm supposed to be intelligent, but every once in a while, I just miss something. And what I missed was that if you mix the Brown's gas with enough air, the hydrogen content of the mixture is less than 4.7% and therefore non-explosive. The people in that hydrogen bar were not inhaling an explosive mixture because they were only putting in a small amount of the gas with the large amount that they were inhaling. So every breath inhaled, you'd only be inhaling less than 4% hydrogen. So it was perfectly safe. And uh, as far as toxicity goes, there's no problem with the Brown's gas either because you could literally breathe the Brown's gas 100%, nothing but Brown's gas, no air at all. And it would be totally non-toxic. Your body would do great because you've got the uh, oxygen-hydrogen mixture that is fairly similar to the nitrogen-oxygen mixture you normally breathe. The only problem with that is this explosiveness. Nitrogen-oxygen mixture doesn't explode, except under conditions that don't exist in, uh, in ambient. And the, uh, but the hydrogen-oxygen mixtures explode very easily. So you don't want to be have, uh, inhaling an explosive mixture. But back to, we're not inhaling an explosive mixture if you're mixing only a small amount. So it became very important to be able to control that amount for different people. And that's part of what I did with the AquaCure AC50. We'll get to that in a little bit. So the, um, but at the time, and this, is, this becomes very, very important. In 2000. Nine, let's say my late wife got really, really sick with a disease called lupus. And she de degenerated to the point where in December of 2015, I was her 24 seven caretaker. She couldn't even roll over in bed without assistance. I carried her to the bathroom. Uh, she'd lost her hair. She'd become blind. She was begging me to leave her. I couldn't. She was a multimedia artist. And the fact that she couldn't do her art anymore was was killing her. Even that it was, she was an amazing woman. I learned so much from her, and she was so such an enlightened uh, a being. Like uh, she knew things intuitively and uh, and spiritually that were well beyond anything that I, I had known before. And 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 she taught me so much. 
And so I took care of this woman. My business was failing. Uh, it pretty much did. We went deeply in debt. We, because uh, I couldn't work to uh, pay bills or anything, we used up all our savings trying to help her get better. She didn't get better. And in March, in March of 2016, she died. So at that point, I was, I was uh, in heavy grief. I, I actually, a little bit of a story as I was crying on my brother's shoulder. He patted my back and he said, I'm going to tell you something that Tanaj said. That was her name. When I was in trouble, he said, breathe, just breathe. And that was like a piece of advice from the grave. She was really helping me. And because there were times when the vacuum in my chest was so great that I forgot to breathe. In any case, I managed to uh, uh, put one foot in front of the other. And I could, and even at this point, I could understand why so many spouses follow their mate into the grave fairly quickly. I've seen it happen. And I started to work again. I, I put together one of my ER-50s and set it up to inhale. And I videotaped myself doing this for the first time. And that videotape, or that, uh, that video is on, um, on the, my YouTube channel. So people can see what I looked like then, three weeks after my late wife had passed. I was, I was an old man. It, uh, I was not in good shape. And, the, uh, and, and quite frankly, at that point, I didn't have anything to live for. So I thought, you know, if I inhale the gas and on video, it goes bang or something and, and people can see, you know, don't do this at home. I, I thought, sure, why not? So I, I did that and I, I started to get better. I, there, were, were, there were amazing things that started to happen to my body. I, uh, one of the first things I noticed was that my psoriasis, I didn't know I had psoriasis. I thought the, the thick peeling skin on my knees and elbows and feet was, uh, was just calluses because I grew up on a cattle ranch and I had thick calluses back in those days. And that's kind of what it was like. And, and it started to peel off like a snake skin peeling off. And I, I, I couldn't understand why that would be. But underneath was, was baby, baby smooth skin, brand new skin. And so I kind of went with it. And then uh, I noticed the neuropathy in my left hand, which I'd almost lost. I had lost the feeling in my, in my palm of my left hand, and it was creeping up into my fingers and it, and the feeling started to come back in my hands. So, or my left, left palm. And, and then I realized once the feeling had gotten back in that hand, that the neuropathies on the fronts of my legs, my shins, both shins from the knees down to my feet had lost the feeling in the skin. I realized I had full feeling back in my skin. And at about that time, I noticed that my, my warts were all gone. I, my hand warts. I had hand warts since I was a child. And I had a planter's wart on my, on my foot as well. All gone. All the warts gone. I noticed that my scars were gone. I, this was about eight months in or so. And, and I've, I have quite a long list of things that I, that I noticed that the inhalation was helping me with. How much each day? How much are we talking about here? Oh, uh, at that point, I was inhaling maybe a couple of hours each day. And, and, and make a note that um, the inhalation, uh, the hydrogen is a food. We can get into why it's more of a, why it's a food in just a little bit, but it's a food. And when I started to inhale, I inhaled 15 minutes that first time uh, at about 6.30 in the, in the evening, and I didn't sleep that night. I was absolutely awake, not like a coffee, coffee buzz where you're kind of buzzing. It was, I was alert, conscious, and awake. 
Now, I grew up on a cattle ranch. I'm used to sleeping against a rock. I fall asleep any old time I want to. That was very disconcerting to not fall asleep. Uh, it's kind of nice now because uh, I, I inhale when I'm at my computer and it keeps me nice and alert. But my current wife, when she uh, inhaled for about 15 minutes at about 6.30 at night, when she went to bed, she had the best night's sleep she could remember in her life. So how it affects people is, is, can be one, you have no idea. So what I usually say is uh, for people to start small, like uh, only inhale a few minutes and then kind of see how it goes because it's like giving your body nutrition when your body has been starving for it for, it depends on what, your, what happens with your body for a long period of time. And what happens is the, um, as your body uh, starts to get used to it, think of it this way. You've been on a starvation diet for a month. You don't start or break your fast with a seven-course meal. You have a little soup. And then as your body gets used to digesting again, then, then uh, you get more and more and you can eat normally. So think of it kind of like that. All right. So uh, we were in this situation where my life had gone sideways. I, I, was, I was getting these, uh, having these things happen to myself. I had then told all my thousands of people who had ER50s out there that they could inhale the gas if they did these particular things, modifications, and they started to inhale and get back to me with testimonials. And one particular one came in that, uh, that floored me. I, I literally fell on the floor. It was a woman who had lupus symptoms, started to inhale, and the lupus symptoms were entirely gone in three weeks' time. I had this technology known about it for health since 1996. My wife got ill in, in uh, about 2007. I battled this disease with her. Now, she never would drink the Brown's gas bubbled water, by the way, and probably wouldn't have inhaled the gas anyway. <laughs> it's weird, you know, you're never a hero in your own backyard. But I had the technology to help this beautiful woman for all these decades in my own shop, and I didn't even know it. And I couldn't, it was hard to live with myself at that point. So I, I decided the only way I could live with myself, and this is why I'm so passionate to help as many people as possible with this technology, I decided I would dedicate my life to doing this. So even though I could retire, even though I could live on a beach and not worry about anything for the rest of this lifetime, which, by the way, has probably been increased by about 30%, according to the scientific studies, as long as I'm inhaling the Brown's gas, that the uh, healthful lifespan, I, uh, I decided to do everything I could to help as many people as possible. And this is one of the reasons why, Crow, I sincerely appreciate being on radio shows like this, because I can help more people. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So my new wife, current wife, because one of the things that happened to me uh, is my libido came back. I actually had a libido, and this has happened to quite a few other people as well, that was, um, uh, it was like a teenager again. I, I literally, it was hard to grieve for, and I do grieve for my late wife, but it was hard to feel that when your body essentially wants to have sex. So I started dating and I, and I found the woman I'm currently married to very happily. And she's, uh, she's amazing, but 
she had this, uh, she looked at this experiment, this ER50, and she said, you know, no woman is going to want to have this assembly of uh, PCV, PCV tubings in her house. You're going to have to come up with a cover to fix that. So I did. I, uh, I came up with the early versions of the AquaCure, and I went and trademarked the name and all those kind of things, because by this time, I had a really good idea of what to do to uh, have a business and and have uh, trademarked it all over the world. And, and it, it's good. The, the machine is good. And we've continued to improve the AquaCure over time, giving it more functionality and reliability. It comes with a lifetime manufacturer's warranty, because like on, back on the cattle ranch, whenever anything would break, I'd learn how to fix it better, uh, better than new. So it wouldn't break. So I wouldn't be fixing it. I'm lazy. I didn't like fixing things all the time. So I built the machines that way. So they're easy to maintain, easy to fix, and they don't break down. Uh, they last for years. So I got a lifetime warranty. And I also, since my own experience was that it took uh, weeks or months for the real health benefits to manifest, I decided, you know what? I'm going to give a one-year satisfaction guarantee. Everybody who buys an AquaCure, a new AquaCure, gets a one-year satisfaction guarantee. And uh, so they can return it after a year, after using it for a year, and get their money back, all their purchase price, no problem. And that has worked really well. I get very few returns. So the, uh, and, and people can try it without any concern that, that they're, the only thing they're risking is the postage, so the shipping cost. So the new design of the AquaCure debuted in uh, 2017, if I remember correctly, at a Tesla convention. And uh, a lot of people knew me then and, there, and it was good because the very first ones that went out did have some issues, uh, which I was able to resolve with my manufacturer's warranty. So as far as I know, every single one out there is working like it should and will continue to do so, or we'll get it fixed. Okay, so... Then people ask me, what is Brown's gas? Like we're talking about this Brown's gas and the things it can do, but what is it? And that's a really good question. It, why does Brown's gas differ from hydrogen? See, there's over 1,200, in fact, there might be over 1,500 by now, studies of hydrogen for health, for example, and 100% of them uh, do well. So why not do just pure hydrogen? Why have Brown's gas, which is a hydrogen-oxygen mixture? The reason is because Brown's gas has a third gas that we call electrically expanded water. And electrically expanded water is actually a gaseous, a plasma form of water. It's, it's water that's turned into a gaseous form that is not water vapor or steam. What happens is the in the Brown's gas electrolyzer, specifically Brown's gas electrolyzers, because they're designed without a membrane in the middle, an electron bridge forms between the uh, the anode and cathode. So on the cathode, the hydrogen forms, the anode, the oxygen forms, and this electron bridge <clears throat> stuffs water or stuffs electrons, excuse me, it stuffs electrons into water. Uh, and the water becomes a gaseous form that is that comes out of the middle of the fluid. So Brown's gas has hydrogen and oxygen and electrically expanded water. Are you describing a part of this that you discovered that had not been previously described? Is that what we're doing here? Ah, thank you so much for, for uh, bring, making that point. Yes. Up till that point, people did not know that uh, this electrically expanded water existed. Uh, we, <laughs> we were making electrolyzers that were over unity efficiency. They, uh, in other words, uh, my electrolyzers were making 130% gas. If you take the Faraday equations, 
Michael Faraday uh, pretty much figured out how electrolysis worked back 100, at that point, 150 years ago, and, uh, and had this equation so you could figure out how efficient your electrolyzer was. Well, that was producing 30% more gas than was theoretically possible at 100% efficiency. <laughs> and so I made some transparent electrolyzers so I could look inside and see what was happening. And I saw this gas bubble, a line of bubbles coming right out of the middle between the anode and cathode that had no connection to the gases that were being produced on the anode and cathode. So I, I tried to capture this gas or separate this gas. We, we developed various theories about this gas and eventually figured things out as far as the gas is concerned. I was never able to separate it, but I was able to uh, measure it in various ways so that we could get this electrically expanded water um, thing going on and uh, or theories. And now we have people testing in various ways on that. So it isn't 130% efficient because we have this extra gas, which is the extra uh, volume that's coming out that has nothing to do with the Faraday equations. It's not electrolysis. It's still water. This is still water. It hasn't split into hydrogen and oxygen, but it has electrons added. Now, these electrons are bioavailable, and that is essential to all the things that Brown's gas can do. If you're talking about combustion enhancement, these electrons increase the efficiency of combustion. If you talk about uh, using a torch to cut steel, the electrons increase the oxidation, which is the cutting of the steel. So you can cut the steel 30% faster with half the gas that the uh, the oxygen that the acetylene would be using. So it's, uh, it's incredible. And then in, for health purposes, these electrons being bioavailable, imagine when people are sick, they've, they've spent their energy reserves. The energy reserves are very low. And you can consider the, the electrons to be direct energy into the body. So you're essentially giving the body a jump start. Also, the energy generation systems inside your body have become uh, um, compromised often. So again, you're bypassing all of that and giving the body what it needs to heal, not only the building block of life, which is the hydrogen, but also the energy to do something with the hydrogen. So we can go back quickly to building blocks. Our bodies are 62% hydrogen by volume. This is really important. Hydrogen by volume, not by weight, but by volume. We're 24% oxygen, 12% carbon, and 2% everything else. So when they're talking about vitamins and minerals, they're talking about the 2%, not the 62%. So your hydrogen is your most essential and uh, uh, nutrient. So it's very important to get all the hydrogen that you need. And most people get their hydrogen from their food. It's called hydrocarbons, most of our food. And by the time the digestive system gets everything prepared, because it takes a lot of energy to pull hydrogen off of a carbon, hydrocarbons, uh, it gets down so that the, there's bacteria, specialized bacteria in your colon that actually break the, back, the hydrogen off of the carbons, and then the hydrogen goes directly into your bloodstream. Uh, so your colon actually breathes. This is one of the interesting things I discovered during all of this. However, most people today have decimated those particular bacteria, those specialized bacteria. So other bacteria try to make up the difference, but they're not as good at it. And people become hydrogen deficient. And when you get hydrogen deficiency, then several things start to happen in your body. First, I, I, I'll just make a, a reference to hypothermia. When people are out in the cold and they start to get hypothermia, the, the body knows to cut off blood flow to the extremities to preserve core temperature. And that is a similar thing that happens when you're getting not enough hydrogen. 
or not enough nutrition of any particular nutrient. Uh, so the body starts shutting off non-essential or not immediately life-threatening things. So the first thing it shuts off is the regeneration system. So instead of making a healing skin, for example, when you get a cut, it would simply patch it with a scar, scar tissue. And then the next thing it starts to shut off is the various immune systems. And your body has a bunch of immune systems. So if your immune system is shut off, you start to get sick easier. And that's not a good thing. And then finally, if you still don't have enough hydrogen, your organs start to fail and you die. So as I started to inhale, one of the things that happened as my organs were starting to heal was from childhood, I had a heart murmur, which is a weak heart valve. I no longer have a heart murmur. My, uh, I, 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 my heart healed. As, uh, and then as my immune systems got stronger, I actually got rid of the warts. Warts are a virus, and I'd had these warts most of my life, and, and my immune system got strong enough to get rid of these warts that I'd had most of my life. And then I noticed that my skin had healed, so the scar tissue was gone, which meant that my body's regeneration system, the stem cells, had, uh, had started, been reactivated and had gotten rid of those patches, those scars, and actually healed the skin. And there's a lot of different uh, stem cells that are needed to heal skin because you have all the uh, ones that form into nerve cells and, and other various layers of uh, skin and what have you. Skin, your skin is your largest, largest organ on your body. And I no longer wear glasses or, or anything like that. And my white hair has turned gray again. And it's just, there's a long list of things that uh, uh, regenerated in my body. It, it reminds me of so many of the healing ideas that I take seriously. It started for me with Gerson, where so many of the things you're describing comes down to when the body has what it needs, it'll cure anything. That's the way that I view it. And down to one of the most amazing things we saw is my wife and I went down to the Gerson building that they had in downtown San Diego. They were not allowed to do the method. They had to go down to Tijuana so they could stay free of the uh, Gestapo in this country uh, trying to cure cancers. The lady who worked with her all these years had put her face through a car windshield and she was showing my wife and I look, my scars are all gone. We're all wet scars. She pulls out this picture that was years after the accident and her whole face was spider webbed where her face had went through the windshield. It was all, you couldn't even tell it happened. And that's when I began the first time that I began to realize, and I'm hearing it again in, the, in what you're telling me is that when the body is primed up and tip top, there's nothing it won't cure. And when you start thinking of lifelong scars, that's a good benchmark for me because most people consider that a lifelong scar is going to be there till you die. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And that, and it's not just myself. Uh, there's a guy who works here. Uh, he's, he's kind of my lead technician. And he, he likes to ride motorcycles. He's an older fellow. And he had uh, uh, been in a motorcycle accident where the road rash had, had taken off the skin on one arm. I saw that. Yes. It was, he, uh, it was, it was astonishing. And, and while he's been inhaling the Browns gas over the last couple of years, uh, the skin has entirely regenerated and now even, but it was white, it was white skin instead of a scar tissue, but now even the, uh, melanin, I think it's called the, 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 uh, tone in the skin is coming back. He's a, a native, uh, uh, fellow. And so he's got darker skin and, uh, and even that is now the whiteness is even fading away as the, as the, uh, his dark skin is coming back. It's, it's incredible. And the scar, the scar disappeared from the extremity back towards the core, right? That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's another thing I've noticed that, you know, cause I always, I used to get cysts and things and I, I always wonder, 
why is this happening on my right side or my left side? You know, why, you know, we have symmetry, so it must mean something. But I've noticed uh, in a couple of things when the scars disappear, it team, like if it's down your arm, the end closest to your hand will heal back towards the core of your body kind of thing. Yes. Yes. That's what happened with the scar on my knee. I had a half inch wide, three inch long scar on my knee because of a skiing accident and they had to do surgery to uh, uh, fish out a piece of bone. And the uh, and back in those days, <laughs> they actually cut your leg open. I was on a cast and crutches for six months, and uh, it was crazy. Nowadays, they do the same surgery. It's day surgery, in and out. They they make a little slit. They go in with their thing. It's crazy, but uh, yes, that scar healed again, like what you were saying from the uh, extremity back toward me. All right, um, let's go a few more minutes. And then in hour one, I want to point out that we're going to have all the links that there's whatever we agreed on uh, for Crow members will get a discount. These are substantial machines. I just got it. I'm not supposed to be lifting heavy things. And I lifted a heavy thing to get it in. This is not just some crappy stuff. It's real deal. But go ahead and finish out and we'll save a couple minutes at the end. We'll inform everyone about the links where they can find the links. And I will have a sponsored link to the machine, hopefully before this goes out. So go ahead, carry on, George. And you are absolutely correct that bodies heal themselves given our bodies are amazing. And and any good doctor will know that they don't heal the patient. The patient heals themselves. The best a doctor can do is line things up so that the body can heal itself. And anybody who understands that understands the key to healing. You simply have to give the body what it needs. It knows what it needs. It knows how to do what it does. And that comes back to our immune systems and everything. So when the Browns gas helps, like even with this current uh, uh, scare that's out there, I have lots of testimonials from people. There's even one guy who had a, ne- a neighbor uh, who had got, uh, gotten sick. And what they did is they ran a hose from his house over to his neighbor's house, a long hose, <laughs> because the guy didn't want to give up his own machine <laughs> and had the neighbor inhale the gas for the period of time every day. And the, uh, and the neighbor got well really quickly. But it was the, the funny story was that he had, he'd done it with a hose running from his house instead of lending him the machine. <laughs> yes. And lots of people, as soon as they do the machine, I've had lots of people then come back and buy multiple machines for all the people in their family because it, it was so effective in, in what they're doing. The body needs what it needs. And if it can get this hydrogen, it can really help. Now, it would be ideal if we can get our guts to generate our hydrogen from our food uh, again but we also have to get rid of the poisons in our environment to do that. Like the uh, glyphosate and uh, is a big one. The artificial sweeteners, uh, all these antibiotics, antibiotics, my goodness, they are a miracle. They're a modern miracle. There's no way it would, I, a person should not have antibiotics, but the antibiotics kill those bacteria. They kill the good ones as well as the bad ones. So you have a short-term gain. You got, you didn't get to sepsis, but a long-term problem in now you've compromised your immune system because your immune system isn't getting the hydrogen that it needs to, uh, to keep you from getting sick. Will the hydrogen help restore that? Or do you need to physically go out and re-ingest those living things? That's a really good question, man. I, I love your questions. The hydrogen helps restore it in that it kind of takes the stress off the body is the only way I can think of it. And people start paying attention to what they're eating and, and perhaps get uh, a better environment, uh, less toxic or whatever. Uh, in China, they did a study on this exact thing of regenerating the hydrogen uh, bacteria on a group of uh, soccer girls, a soccer team. 
and they and it did work. They they did they were able to generate more and more of their own hydrogen with their own uh, into, uh, microbiome. Uh, didn't need to take as much of the uh, uh, supplement, hydrogen supplementation. So that was a direct study on that. But the uh, another interesting story is as far as getting the bacteria back in your your guts. I I used to have a hundred head of goats. I was a, a <laughs> I grew up on a cattle ranch, but I, I snubbed my dad's nose by by raising goats. It was a kind of funny story. But one of the things that would happen is every once in a while, uh, a goat's stomach would die, like the microbiome for one reason or another would die. And the way to reestablish that, a sour stomach, would be to go and get the cud out of another goat. Because what they do is they cough up their part of what they're eating, have eaten out of one stomach and chew on it a little while longer and then swallow it again into the next stomach. They have got four stomachs. They're called unglas. And anyway, what you would do is you'd, you'd uh, kind of sneak up on the goat, you know, all kind of friendly and everything, and they'd be sitting, sitting there. And then you'd grab them by the neck while another person, so they couldn't swallow, while another person, and they, and they start to gag and open their mouth, another person reaches in with a finger and grabs a cud, and then, and then we're able to uh, feed it to another goat to restart their stomach. Well, I got to ask, and since the human beings are not stealing cud from one another, <laughs> I'm guessing you're going to go down the probiotics road, or where are you going to go for a human being? Something like that. Yes, we have to uh, we have to do something like that. I'm I'm not sure. There are people who are researching this kind of thing, and at that point, theoretically, if you can regenerate that, uh, you wouldn't need the the uh, hydrogen supplementation. But the AquaCure isn't just hydrogen. The AquaCure is Brown's gas, which is hydrogen, oxygen, and the electrically expanded water. So it's good to keep this supplementation going because it gives you something that your microbiome can't give you or doesn't give you in addition to what it would be giving you. So even if you were getting all the hydrogen you needed, having a little bit extra supplementation doesn't hurt in my opinion. And in everything that's, that's going on, very, very few people I've ever done this. I think in thousands of people, maybe a handful, five have said that they didn't do anything good for them. It's incredibly effective to get the hydrogen or Brown's gas supplementation, which includes the hydrogen and the electrically expanded water. So when this episode goes live, I'm going to try to have the sponsored link. So up above the episode image, there's all those little links to products that I have tried and from firsthand think are useful in this world. And people, you know, at least have that to go on that, that I've interacted with these things. Now, to be perfectly fair, I have the box upstairs. I have not interacted with it, but I was aware before the fact. And when I began to re read the testimonials, what rings true for me is what I learned from Gerson is what I have learned from every healing method that people would consider miraculous or very useful. The body gets what it needs. It heals itself. And it's almost miraculous when a 25 year old scar, uh, just the body eats it up and replaces it with the skin. It once was these kinds of amazing things. As I do use the machine that I now have, uh, I will, I will interact and let people know what I'm about. I'm hoping I can use it for my mother to see what it does for the Alzheimer's and the confusion. Uh, almost every day by two o'clock, she's pretty convinced she's on a train and she's missing her stop. And this goes on and on and on and on. And the only solutions that I'm offered by the system is drugs. And I'm not real big on drugs. It's a slippery slope. Uh, it's worse than a slippery slope. At some point, someone just becomes vegetative because they're sodium drugged out. And so there's no good answers and I'll let people know. But George, I think we agreed that the link from Crow 777 Radio, what was, what was the reduction in cost going to be? 20%. 20%. 
So if you use the sponsored link from the site, you'll get a 20% reduction in cost. And these are serious machines. I've covered other machines, which I feel like they work, but I think we're at a whole other level here simply because I think people are noticing the results more quickly. We'll try to put up the links to the YouTube videos so you can see things and the sponsored link. And I'll get George in here to put any other links he thinks are important. Okay, uh, so there's hour one of 365 with Jason Lingren and George Wiseman basically covering Brown's gas. We kind of snuck in the middle there that he discovered a new state within the gas. We got a lot more to cover on the other side. And I'm going to ask a simple question. So many people had trouble with Ben Balderson's hour one, you know, the one where we did the seven hermetic principles in hour two. Do you see why these things matter? He's talking about anodes and cathodes and the sun and the moon. And the idea of how batteries work and sealed systems, now do you see why all that matters? It relates directly to what we're talking about. If you go back to that episode, you will actually hear Benjamin talking about Brown's gas. And I knew it the moment I heard it, he'd been talking with George. So, you know, all these people are coming together to discover new things. Join us at crow777radio.com for hour two, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And that is a member only second hour on all episodes. You can go to the site and listen to every episode free hour ones back to episode one. So there's well over 300 now. With that, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy and higher minded new era and hope to see you on the other side. This is a fascinating conversation. There it is, man. Cheers.
is the enemy. Is the 